After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. To our great players and our great fans, welcome to opening night of the 2022-23 NHL season. What's better than this? Good luck to all players. Let's have a great season. Thank you, referee Rooney. The season is officially now underway. Uh, this, Josh, got a lot of attention for Chris Rooney's comments. And I think we should weigh in on that, probably other items this week. And, you know, there was another hot mic incident or two that I think we may touch on. Uh, it's fun to hear those. It's enjoyable to get a listen to what's going on on the ice, even if it isn't always intended to be distributed to a larger audience. Ah, uh, yes, but that's what makes it exciting. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Of course, please make sure you're following our social channels. You get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, as you heard, the refs announce a new season, player safety payouts, technology taking over, offside challenges, and hey, we even had our first penalty shot already this year in the Leafs and Habs game, didn't we? We did. It's been busy. I, I can't believe we're only a few days in, and already we're kind of ticking the boxes on the penalty shots, the player safety, we've got fines, all that stuff going on. So uh, uh, a rip-roaring start to the season, Todd. Loving it. Loving it. Okay, so let's let's talk about the pregame announcement that Chris Rooney made and also Graham Skilleter made one a little bit later on in the evening to kick off the second games last Tuesday. A lot of people ripped on them for this. I don't think so. Could it have been executed a little bit better? Yes, I think so. And honestly, I feel a little bit bad for Chris Rooney because I suspect, this is what I believe happened, is that he was approached about this probably the day of and got a piece of paper with something written on it by the league people who said, oh, it would be really great if you did this. So Chris probably looked at it and tried to memorize it and do it as well as he could with all of the coaching from far too many people, I suspect, probably those on the league media and marketing department. And Instead of just being his normal self saying, hey, welcome to the season. It's great to be back. What's better than a new hockey season? Let's go, boys. He tried to read a script. And it is one of the most difficult things in the world to write words for someone else to read. And I think that's what happened here. Absolutely. And you're doing it in front of a large audience. And Rooney's a great guy. Rooney's a great communicator. He's not necessarily a public speaker. And it's not even his job. I mean, all the other things he has to worry about that night, all the things he's being paid for and worrying about the players and the faceoffs and handling the game. And now, oh, on top of this, you've got to do an intro. So yeah, it's, a, it's a little bit outside his job description, but I think he, he did a great job with it, given that it's a tough spot to be in. I, I feel like, too, you you mentioned it, NHL PR, putting the pressure yeah. on or, or, you know, was there something drafted behind the scenes or were they putting that out there? And 
did Gary Bettman force the officials to do this introductory speech? Conspiracy theory. I, I love it. I, I like to think uh, I like to think Bettman more laid on like a guilt trip a little bit and was walking around NHL headquarters or walking around behind the game. Boy, it sure would be nice if someone would speak. <laughs> be nice to hear somebody say a few words before the game. Well, I wonder if anybody will do that. It sure would be a nice way to start the season, wouldn't it, boys? A little passive aggressive there. Yeah. Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> I don't know. Just, uh, you know, dropping some hints here and there. Some very, very not so subtle hints. Okay, so now the idea in general, I like it on both nights, the top and bottom of the double header. Do you think this is something that could happen, should happen before every game? There's probably a high Hawaii at center ice before the game starts, but should there be something more formal? I don't know that I want a, a big deal. I don't know that I need more than a sentence or two, but holy cow, was it fun at the World Juniors when we had those guys with a one-liner or two, uh, you know, just just something fun, something quick. I remember the one, I think it was the Finnish official who said, hey, you know, it's not just us out here. Santa's watching you too. That's Keep it right. clean, boys. Something like that. I think it's great. You know, you want to do that on the national games and drop a one-liner in or, or something, uh, something cute, something fun. But like, let's keep it to like three seconds. Let's make it a quick hit and get out, drop the puck and, and let's play hockey. Quick and efficient, but yeah, there's there's something to this. And again, it's it's showing some personality, allowing the officials to to express themselves, and as opposed to just saying uh, number thirty seven, two minutes for holding. It just it it just gives a little more personal flavor and an atmosphere to the game. I think it's nice, and it's something that we we see both sides of it. People complain when you have a player speak out, or you have an official give a little bit of a speech before a game, and and everybody's crabby about it. And they say, well, we want more personality in the game. But then you shut guys down when they show a little personality. You know, you, you don't want guys to speak out. You don't want the hockey cliches in the post-game press conferences. But you can't have it both ways. I think I think the NHL needs a little personality. And I think doing it in in limited doses or quick hits, I think it's great from the players. And I, and I think it is good for the officials as well. So as we have seen, the ref Mike is back. And on ESPN telecast, there will be officials that are mic'd up at different times through the season, which is great. Now, all of this is filtered, processed and sanitized for your safety and protection by the league before it's broadcast. Out. But at least it provides us a little bit of insight into what's going on. And in fact, at uh, game number one, Chris Rooney was explaining to one of the players why he did the speech in the game broadcast. They played that back saying, yeah, they asked me to do it. So there was a mic'd up incident that was a bit of a hot mic incident in the Calgary and Colorado game when Steve Kazari was calling Noah Hannafin for a penalty that he didn't particularly agree with. As he skated by to the penalty box, he said something, or maybe his teammate said something, and before Kazari could turn his mic off announcing the penalty, he said, hey, watch the replay. I thought that was perfect. That's great. See, those are the moments that we like to capture, that, that candid exchange between the player and the official, and there's nothing that needs to be cleaned up there. It's it's perfectly family-friendly, but it, it does give you some insight on the, the back and forth there, and and I think Hannafin will have a chance to sit in the box and he gets to watch the replay up on the big screen and <laughs> he still may not agree with it. But hey, you know, Kazari gave it right back to him. Yes. And occasionally, you know, the hot mics do pop up. That's part of the the joy and, well, panic of live television if you're the producer in the truck. Yes. And there have been some panicked moments. I don't know that they were ref mics necessarily, but there have been some hot mics around the boards. And I don't know if it's, you know, we had that that fake crowd noise that they added in during the bubble time and people got used to some tweaks with the mics. But uh, no, there are some things 
some interesting things slipping through the broadcast these days. So uh, if you keep your ears open in the background, you you might catch a few things that uh, that that aren't necessarily family friendly, but uh, it has made for some entertaining moments during the game and uh, between the whistles. It most definitely does. And it highlights once again the need for the return of the ref cam again maybe it's the body camera thing that we've talked about previously this is a way to bring that back and paint the whole picture for the viewers at home it has to happen i mean there's there's no way with everything that the league has done to try to improve broadcasts i would imagine espn tnt probably putting some pressure on now as they're trying to expand their coverage and we've got the mics, we've got the locker room cameras, we've got the, the cut-ins with players, we've got guys mic'd up in warm-ups, and even the officials mic'd up in warm-ups. So where do you go from here? The next logical step is to bring back the ref cam. So if the NHL hasn't been excited about doing it on their own, maybe the folks at ESPN can start to put a little pressure on to bring that back. Challenge thrown out to the national broadcasters. Okay, let's put a bow on the preseason because wrapping it up, Alexander Romanov of the New York Islanders was fined $5,000, the maximum allowable under the collective bargaining agreement for charging New York Ranger forward Vincent Trocek during the preseason game. Um, The NHL Department of Player Safety announced that and viewing this from a couple of different angles, I think Romanov certainly got his money's worth there. That was kind of like a WWE lunge that he had going at uh, at Trocek. It was. It looked like a flying elbow off the top rope there. He was, he yeah. was coming in fast, coming in high. And some folks were a little surprised by the fine. To me, that was a no-brainer. I mean, it was a big high hit. I wasn't sure initially, you know, are we looking at elbow to the head? Is there head contact on the play? What happened here? You know, the puck was clearly there, so we're not looking at interference, but... There's no doubt he left his feet. And to me, that was always the no-brainer on the call. And the penalty that was made in the game was you're looking at a charging call because clearly he left his feet to deliver the hit. His his feet didn't come off the ice as part of the body contact. He was up in the air before contact was made. And that's the, the fastest way to get yourself a charging call. And refs Kevin Pollock and Peter McDougal did, and player safety agreed. I don't know if you saw it, but when I watched it a few times, it almost looked like Romanov was approaching the play And then it suddenly clicked and realized to him that he could really take advantage (laughs) of Trocek in this situation and change to deliver a more punishing blow. It's possible. And that's one of the things that the officials look at when they're assessing the penalty and, and player safety as well is you're looking at the degree of violence of the check. And often that's the delineating factor between whether this was a major or minor and whether this was a fine, a suspension or multiple games is, you know, did the player pull up at the end? Did they make a decision to lessen the contact if the player was in a vulnerable spot or did they try to make it a, a hard hit or aggressively pursue that contact? So good that there was no injury on Trocek. He wasn't particularly defenseless. You know, he was eligible to be checked on the play. Just legally, this wasn't a legal one, and and one that you're right, he was certainly not pulling up, not trying to ease up on the play here, and it's maybe that old Rangers Islanders rivalry going on. Ah, yes. But, but with guys with guys who've never played for the teams up until this. Well, season. yeah, right. That's that's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, we're new, so we're initiating ourselves. Right. Department of Player Safety was busy in the regular season already, also as Darnell Nurse of the Edmonton Oilers delivered a late hit on Vancouver Canuck Kyle Burrows. The Canuck defenseman had already moved the puck. He was being checked by another oiler when Nurse laid into him with a pretty decent body check. It was late. 
Nurse got two minutes for interference on the play. Vancouver scored on the power play, too. I'm not sure I have ever uttered this phrase before on the Scouting the Refs podcast or, you know, probably anywhere. It didn't really seem like it warranted that big a fine. I don't think you're wrong, Todd. I mean, it was clearly a late hit. It was penalized. Was it egregious? Did it rise to the level of supplementary discipline that player safety needed a handout? I don't think the hit itself necessarily did. So what I have to think that they were considering are the other circumstances around it was the end of the period. You know, it was a it was a late hit. It was unnecessary. It wasn't a hockey play. The, the player had already been legally checked. The buzzer sounding. So aside from that and the hit not being that bad, as you mentioned, player safety first looks to see is, is the incident itself a suspendable offense or a finable offense. And I don't know. That, that's a tough one for me. Now, if if they're on the fence there and they're thinking that it does deserve something just because of the nature of the hit and how obviously late it was, then you look at Nurse's history and you see that just a few months back during the playoffs, he was suspended a game for a headbutt. So maybe that's one of those situations where you're looking at a guy and you're, lo- you're considering his history and, and the frequency or how frequently it was that he was last disciplined. And maybe you just want to send a message, set the tone for this year of this late hit nonsense or things after the whistle at the end of the period, we're, we're going to tighten things up on. But no, typically, I, I think you'd have to do a little bit more to earn that $5,000 fine. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So we need maybe it's, a, it's not a suspension. It's not a fine. Maybe a, maybe a personal reprimand. <laughs> just just enough to get you on the naughty list, but without anything actually happening. Well, not nurse is making enough money. $5,000 may, uh, yeah. may as well be uh, a cup of coffee to him. It's it's kind of like when your 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 boss, if you've run afoul, says, "I'm I'm writing you up," and you just you <laughs> right. you have that placed in your file for for future reference. I don't know. Yeah, just sitting okay. outside the principal's office. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so, a a discussion now about technology. It's a topic we ventured into a little bit before in terms of how it may help officiating at the NHL and perhaps eventually other levels. But this article from Sport Techie that I saw and you also saw because I sent it to you and you said, oh, I'm just doing a piece on this. It's really good. And and there was the last couple of paragraphs that really got to me. And they read, part of the virtual game replica evolution will stem from limb tracking and stick tracking that SMT's cameras are testing in NHL arenas. Similarly, deploying limb tracking at the World Cup in partnership with optical camera provider Hawkeye to automate faster, more accurate decisions on offsides. SMT could track limb and stick movements to dictate high sticking penalties and other calls. They may be a way to leverage it for on-ice officiating to know exactly where the stick is, where limbs are. We could be using that for potentially officiating in a game or a video review that gets looked at. It's aspirational, but it's very real as a possibility. Oh, so is this going to be like the automated umpires in baseball taking over sometimes at the NHL level? Uh, unfortunately, that's what it sounds like. And I, and I say unfortunately because there's so much, you know, when you're looking at a strike zone in baseball, it's one thing. But w- when you've got all the judgment and all the factors to consider here, I'm not saying that there wouldn't potentially be between player tracking, limb tracking, enhanced data and maybe AI functionality here to be able to train a system to identify those. But I feel like that's a long way off and, and it's scary to try to take those kinds of judgment calls out of the hands of officials. So I, I'm 
I fell off my chair when I read that line (laughs) (laughs) coming from uh, NHL senior management to think that we're going to consider calling penalties based on player tracking data or player tracking information. So I know they mentioned that it's a ways off, but still uh, the idea being that, that this is the best application of the tool was probably not my first choice. Hmm. Now, there are situations where enhanced technology may be helpful. And one occurred this past week in the Maple Leafs and Canadians game. There was a situation where Kirby Dock was going around the net and then tried to stuff the puck into the net to score a goal on Matt Murray. The goaltender sprawled to make a save. And of course, because of all the equipment, it is very difficult to find the puck and tell whether or not it stayed outside the goal. The referee spent time during a commercial break looking at it, and eventually it was ruled no goal. But this is an area where technology could make this problem go away. I think that's probably one of the top items on my list when it comes to player and puck tracking. I think that the most basic aspect of hockey is scoring a goal. And the most basic piece of scoring a goal is the puck crossing the line. And anything we can use to know definitively that the puck did or didn't cross the line forgive me for switching sports, but is an immediate home run there. Right. That's that's the way to go to apply the technologies. Let's let's get the basics down. Let's know if a goal was scored and if the puck crossed the line. So I'd love to see that happen first. And I think that would make the most sense. It would also make an immediate impact on the game. You wouldn't have to have that replay. You wouldn't spend that time. You wouldn't have the goal judge with the itchy trigger finger who makes the lights come on and everything when the puck didn't even go in. So it fixes the gameplay. It gets rid of some reviews. It speeds up the process. I think that would be where I would focus if I had any say in what happened with player and puck tracking. Okay. Well, I agree with you. And I think that this is an area that could and should be explored. I'll give you another one that might be worth exploring. And that has to do with whether or not a play is offside. Again, because you have the sensors in the puck and whether or not it is or isn't across the blue line, If and when the technology ever is developed to the point of being able to know exactly where a player is on the ice, that could help determine whether or not a play is on or offside and essentially take the dilemma away from the coaches like Marty St. Louis had in that Habs-Leafs game. Yeah, that was a fun one. That was a really close situation and one that... I think I'm confident that the play was onside, but we don't know for sure. And typically, unless someone challenges, we don't get to see the other angles that the league has with that blue line camera. So it looked like a close call. You had John Tavares carrying the puck up the wing, Nylander entering the zone to his left. It was a close call where the puck was at the time Nylander crossed the line. His skate was in the air, so under the new NHL offside rules, this is legal because the blue line is now a plane, but we never got that dead-on angle to show the definitive moment that the puck crosses the line and the angle down the line to see if this skate was actually over the blue line. So I think it was, I mean, it was close enough for practical purposes that there was no advantage by the offside, but that's one of those rules that we do by the letter of the law, and we didn't get a chance because it wasn't challenged, but As you were saying, Todd, if we had puck tracking to know when that moment was and we had player tracking to know the exact position of the skate, we don't have to have a challenge. We don't have to have a review. We can just automate and know immediately, hey, this was offside. Blow the whistle. You know, have the uh, have the robot ref blow the whistle. Light up the boards if you want to with the digital. (laughs) I was going to ask you about that. 
<laughs> let everybody know it's offside. So yeah, I think that would be a great application too, because now, you know, again, it's visibility, it's sight lines, it's all those things. It's keeping track of a puck and multiple players and having obstructions in the way. If player and puck tracking can see that and save us the pain of going through a replay, then let's do that work instantaneously. It's not a judgment call. That one is black or white. So much less of a concern for the robot overlords to take over those calls. I, I, I think that would be most helpful there. There was another notable offside challenge. This one occurred in the uh, Carolina Hurricanes-Columbus Blue Jackets matchup. It involved Cole Sillinger, who scored a beauty of a goal. No, he didn't. On, sorry? <laughs> no, he didn't. He, he didn't. He would have. I thought he did. <laughs> I saw the puck go in the net. It, was, it looked beautiful. It was gorgeous. Yes, it was a beautiful play. It was wonderful. It was an amazing goal. Unfortunately, it, uh, none of it counted. Thanks to the wise decision by Rod Brindamore. Yes. Brindamore challenged saying that Sillinger did not have possession of the puck as he crossed the blue line. And again, is this an area where puck, player, stick, limb tracking could help determine whether or not a player A has possession and B crosses the line in a legal manner? So now you're putting the little wrinkle in here that now is where we start to lose it. This is where I think the, the technology starts to hit limitations without getting into artificial intelligence and machine learning and things like that. We can at least give the officials the moment the puck crossed the line and the position of Sillinger when he crossed the line or when the puck crossed the line. But it's such a judgment call on whether he had possession and control. And I, I think defining that and figuring out how do we know he had possession, it's something that we battle with with the actual human officials now and in, in defining that on how do we determine if a guy has possession of the puck when he crosses the line and does he have control of the puck and you have to have both of those things to precede the puck into the attacking zone and i think that's where you'll run into challenges where hey i've got to make a judgment call here and as a human it's a tough call and it's one that i think people can even argue on you know what happened on previous offside and was it called differently this way or that way and how each situation is unique i think this one becomes a tricky call but i think it's one that they got right he was clearly offside without possession and control of the puck but man uh you know one more tap of the stick a little shift here and there and, and that might have been a good goal but it that comes down to the official's judgment it was very close and well maybe the way to look at this is we should and can probably help the officials with improved technology and begin implementing it. And the way to sell it, I think, to everyone, including the public, is if we do this, it will A, eliminate, and B, speed up video review. That is a great argument because I know people despise the video review process. And sometimes it's necessary. And there's always going to be those situations as long as we have goaltender interference on the table. I, I think that would be probably the last that we could even consider touching with technology other than having some more data around the pucks and players. But I, I think to get rid of some of the nonsense reviews or some of the ones that are black and white, like an offside or like a puck over line, I think it's a huge win. And then maybe fans can finally go back to celebrating when a goal is scored instead of holding their breath for 30 seconds, five, 10 minutes, however long it takes. <laughs> Sure. First podcast of the year, and you already bring up the third rail, goalie <laughs> interference. <laughs> We're done! Good job! You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. 
Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's a nicely done. That's good work.